Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. It's a post-Oscars night. Right. And Desi caught the tail end when she came over at my house. I did. Like the, the last few awards. So we're not going to talk about the Oscars. It was whatever. Well, I still have opinions. Desi. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't really. I don't either. I don't, I don't really. feel like there was any surprises, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean it seems like everything, everyone won who consistently won... In the other award in shows. In the other award shows. So it's just the same old boring type of show. And there's no, no like, interesting things that happen anymore. We were there's talking no, about like, that. Yeah, Demi Moore showing up in bicycle shorts and, like, whatever fashion she fucking put on. Or Roberto Benini jumping on everyone's right. chair. I just miss those days. And perhaps it's just because we have too many award shows. There's never a surprise on who wins. Like, Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like... I mean, personally, I was surprised that Shape of Water won only because I just never thought about that movie the whole award season because I still haven't seen it yet. Right. But it was winning every award. Right. And I it just won wasn't like the director, like the DGA, like all the other directing awards. But yeah, I thought if anything that maybe Get Out would upset it because there was a bit of a controversy with that movie, Shape of Water, towards the end that oh, it was really? supposedly uh, someone was claiming that he stole it from their student film. <laughs> I don't know how. I never how? heard that. So. I did. I don't know how, but wow. like, yeah. So I, I was like, oh, well, maybe that will affect its chances. But Well, no. I'm happy for Guillermo del Toro. He seems like a nice he guy. He seems sweet. Yeah. So whatever. So <laughs> I just had to uh, take my medicine right now. Okay. And I don't mean my depression medication. I mean, I had to watch Gianni Versace. Oh, right. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't watch it okay. this week. So. so let's get into it. Yeah. So she had to watch it while I was finishing up my research. Uh, which So that worked out. Yeah, it worked um, out. Um, but it was not a good week for the assassination so of boring. Jennifer. Some of the things in this episode drove me up the fucking wall. Like, like what? Well, in particular, the fact that Lee Miglin was at the party. <laughs> did you hear me from the other room go, come on? That no, was, I did. That well, was that, that for the... That's what that was about. I mean, it was such an absurd insertion of something we all know can't possibly be true. And wasn't true. Right. But even if like you weren't sure, what are the chances that that would have happened? I just feel like whatever you want to think about Lee Miglin, it's pretty wrong in my opinion to constantly paint him some way that he never admitted to being gay or his family never. Do you know what I mean? Like they're basically calling him out on something that he was never admitting to. Isn't that like outing someone wrongly? Yeah. And he I mean, even, I don't know. He can't even, whatever. He like, can't even clarify there's something I, he's dead. There's something that rubs me the wrong way about it that it's, it's being told so definitively. Like it's not right. even a question. Like right. I can see it being like, yeah, what the hell? Like it does seem suspect to me that, how would he have known Andrew and is that a really random killing? I don't think so, but I don't really, I would never say, well, here's what happened. <laughs> like, I thought the way they handled that episode was great, perfectly fine. It was very dramatic, but I don't think they needed to bring him back to assert that this was a, they knew each other for over a year. It was like the, um, it's like sometimes in like in a movie where the protagonists all take a photo together <laughs> We like, do you right. know what I'm saying? It's right. like that. It's like such a gimmick. Like they all take the photo together. Like We're all of his victims forever. Yeah, it was just so. It's like Q vitamin C's graduation. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a deep cut. Fuck. 
I'm so glad I like missed the year of that song came out for any years I was graduating. Right. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Um, so what else happened? I guess it was just basically the whole episode. If you didn't watch it was just, or if you did watch it was just Andrew being a sociopath again. Right. And, and being insufferable. And like, yeah, I I felt so bad for, he's like the kind of guy, like before he becomes a murderer, he's like the kind of guy who you like begrudgingly hang out with and you don't know why you haven't just severed that tie yet, even though he's the most irritating person to hang out with. And he's like, right. you know, he's a fucking pathological liar. I did like seeing Michael Norrie um, fucking not fall for his bullshit. The, the older guy? The older rich oh, guy. with the red hair? No, 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 no. I want to get to that in a second because I, I love him. that too. Oh my God. I'm so okay. Glad you uh, no, Michael Norrie was the rich guy he okay. was living with like yes. uh whatever um yes let's get to terry sweeney who i love and i was was, so happy to see him in something again so i mean to me this episode is worth it just because terry sweeney got an acting role i love him uh and he had some pretty good one-liners in that little scene he had with andrew in the hallway flip was fantastic he was perfectly cast and i believed that type of character existed with andrew like an older queen who was like listen bitch (laughs) right who had it's like he had no designs on the rich older guy, Michael Norrie. I don't remember what his character's name was, but it was just like a friend. Like, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it was, he was his friend looking out for his friend. And obviously I think Norman was the character that Andrew was sleeping with had, who was like his kept man. Wasn't his right. name Norman? I can't remember. Yeah, it was Norman. I think it was Norman, but, um, uh, this Terry Sweeney, uh, I forget his name in, in the show, in the show, but his character confronts Andrew after Andrew's like doing a line in the bedroom and he's like, Oh, you doing some tweak, you know? And, yeah. and he's like, I don't do gutter drugs. Um, I'm just having a little pick me up. It's my birthday. And he's like, look, bitch. Right. I've seen my friends die during the AIDS crisis. Right. Don't try and pull the wool over my eyes. Like, if you're going to be a kept man, be a kept man. Well, that was the good line where he kind of nailed Andrew. He said something along the lines, you're the type of person who doesn't want to work hard, but doesn't also, also doesn't want to look like a kept man. Right. And I feel like that is a perfect description of Andrew. Because he did want to look like he had all these accomplishments. That were of his own making. That were of his own making. But at the same time, he had no desire to work for them. There was a bit of a discussion on the Facebook group about this where someone was sort of complaining or not complaining, but said they should call it the life of Andrew Kunanen. I actually don't have a problem with that because I do feel like that's the character we don't really know that much about. Yeah. My problem is I wish that they were a little bit more authentic with who he was. And I, I feel like it is kind of hitting who he is, but I wish they didn't do it with these like made up things like the Lee Miglin being at the party or like, I think it is pretty effective that Jeff and David were kind of hitting it off at the party and that set Andrew off like in a negative way. Yeah. I also thought the scene with the mom was really creepy at the end. It was. I liked, I liked that that the mom, I don't know who the actress was, but I thought she did a great job. I just feel like I do kind of want to know about him. And I guess he is a hard character to nail down because he was such a fucking liar. Right. And I feel like the people who were friends with him, who maybe knew him the best, he killed. <laughs> like, right. Because it seems like that girl was in the in this episode, his girlfriend, and I think she may have been in another episode briefly. 
but she just she seems like the type of friend who doesn't really care because she gets some access to certain things through Andrew yeah but she doesn't really care about him as a person they have a very surface shallow relationship it seemed from that episode right I just think from a storytelling perspective to really and I've said it before I I disagree with the way this story is being told I don't think they should have gone backwards in time because I think it really misses any kind of opportunity to build any sort of um, sort of sympathy for the character right. of Andrew Cunanan, or not sympathy, I should say, but like anything where you could have see some where he of... was coming from, right. see the evolution of this monster. Yeah, I don't think it was the right choice in this uh, case. I, I don't. Although either. I think that sometimes it can be a good way of doing things. I don't really know why they did. I, I don't think it was effective in telling the story no. to do it backwards because I would have rather seen this poor kid in San Diego surrounded right. by rich kids wanting to be something and so at least we could have had the evolution of him from the beginning and then it just escalates and escalates and the drama heightens. Well because I feel like the drama would have heightened because we would have seen him getting more and more out of control. Right and like, that would be isn't yeah, interesting that would be more interesting like seeing what happens with David and Jeff and then the desperation of going to Lee Miglin's, maybe trying to get some money, and then the murder of the guy in the pickup truck who was just completely unrelated. Because right. that's a completely desperate act that was just sort of stuck in where we didn't really know what he was coming from. Right. Uh, and then going to Miami, he we would have recognized the state he was in more at that point. Like yeah. the desperation and the sort of I don't fucking care, like I'm going to go out with a bang or no, you know, wrong word choice, but like, well, at this point, <laughs> you know I, what I mean? I, at this point, I can't wait for him to go out with a bang. I'm like, just kill yourself already. You right. are awful. I hate. I just, I just loathe him at this point. And I know you're supposed to loathe him, but there, it's just not as interesting though when you do hate them a hundred percent. I like having a conflict with a bad person where you are like, oh my God, like if only this didn't happen, everything could have turned out. Like, I still don't know why he is the way he is. Right. And maybe want, that will be want to an see... episode next week or the week after. Did you see the coming attractions or whatever? I looked at the coming attractions and it looked like it was another, ba- obviously it's another back in time. But I just don't care anymore. I wish they would have done that from jump. Right. I wish, we but would've... I want to see his childhood and stuff now. I, I do too, obviously. But I wish they would have started the series with him in because it would have been better to have a little sympathy for him. And it's hard to go back. Well, to connect what with he him did. as a person yeah. when he is more um, less vile. The other thing I'm getting a little fed up with, and I'm not really blaming uh, Darren Chris or you know for his performance in any way, I'm getting a little bored with his lies. (laughs) Like when I hear them, I'm like, who the fuck would have believed anything that he's saying? Like, do you know what I mean? Like the only characters that I buy are Jeff and David because they seem like they're actually like recognizing his lies, but kind of letting it slide or something. But at some point in the storytelling, we've already heard these things a million times. Yeah. And I feel like they're not doing a great job for me really making him believable as like a somewhat charismatic like person that people would want to like be why, around. Right. Why would you know they even I mean? like, want to Even if someone's a day. bullshitter, like we, I have friends who are kind of embellishers or storytellers. Right. They're not pathological sociopathic liars, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even see why anyone would want to be with Andrew ever. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's no yeah. redeeming qualities about him. But there's not even a fun liar quality to him. It's all sort of desperate. 
I just feel like they're missing the boat a little bit on his portrayal, and it could be the writing. Like, I feel like there had to be something that people liked about him initially. Or some kind of charming way right. that he... He got this rich guy in who was obviously very smart and didn't fall for Andrew's bullshit eventually. Right. Like, how did he charm this guy? But to get a nice, two nice guys like Jeff Trail and... David. David into his web, those guys seem like stand-up guys. They were in his web for a long time, for like a year. Right. So what, it I don't buy it with them. What was the kind of relationship that they had in the beginning that drew them into Andrew? Well, because I buy that they had sympathy for Andrew and that's why they prolonged. Yeah. But I don't know why they felt the sympathy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Like clearly they had it or they would have just never, whatever, they would have moved on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they did kind of literally move on, like, from him that they had to because they couldn't cut ties with him while they right. were in San Diego, or right. at least uh, Jeff. Anyways, so I do feel like there's something a little two-dimensional for me about him still. He's still just a monster. He isn't a human right. monster at this point. Yes, I'm not seeing any of the redeeming qualities, and I do feel like there had to be something, even if it was fake, even if it was a mess, there had to be something people felt right. sympathy for even if it was like always oh, so sad like right i don't right. even feel sad for him at all right when he was sad in the bathtub at the end of the episode at his mother's house i didn't feel bad for him at all yeah i mean that might be the closest i felt bad for him but i my creep factor was more right. it was like it was yeah. a it was a very psycho norman bates type scene for me it and that was. was sort of more my overwhelming feeling watching that scene more than sympathy. Yeah. Because it didn't even seem like she was that. I wasn't like, oh, that's why he's fucked up. The other thing <laughs> I have to mention that really irritated me is there's a scene where Andrew has invited David to stay with him in Los Angeles for the weekend. Oh, yeah. And they're having dinner, uh, like a lobster dinner. And Andrew goes on to tell this obviously fake anecdote right. about how, oh, my mother would bring me lobster to school and I'd share with everyone. How, are you, how do you share lobster? You can't share lobster. I actually felt like that scene was going in the right direction of what I feel like I need. Yeah. But it was there was something about it that was too rushed. Like, I felt like it would have been better if Andrew was lying and it seemed believable. And then at some point, David realized he was lying. And felt Like, no sorry one's going to buy him. the fucking lobster story. But if he had said a few other things first, and David's like, oh, we're finally connecting. And then he said the lobster. It would have worked a little better for me because I felt like I would like to see David being charmed. Right. And then like, oh, he's fucking lying again. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I feel like the lobster thing was too, too soon. It was too soon. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was So that was definitely getting a little more into what I feel like I want to see. I want to see where he's like this little boy who's trying to impress people. Right. But he's just a failure at it. Yeah. So it would have worked for me that scene. That was an insane scene. Like I do kind of feel like I'm not victim blaming, so calm down. But it is kind of insane to me that David went to that weekend. Like I mean, like, I get he's like, I like to travel or whatever he said. Like, But I, David seems like a smart guy. It I, did seem like an insane thing to do if you wanted nothing to do with Andrew to have him fly you out first class for a weekend. I mean, he's a young guy. Right. So that was sort of a weird choice for him to make. And I wonder if that really happened. Because I don't I remember. I wonder if it happened, but also 
there's no way to know if that was justified or not because we don't know what happened before yet, according right. to the series. Right, right, right. So there so, could be a valid reason, and we just don't know. Yeah, so you're always kind of sort of That's unsure. why I'm saying the way yeah, they're telling the story is good. flawed to me. Um, anyway, that is our recap have. of the assassination. Thanks to everyone who's still on board watching the show. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... I have no idea. Let me just say, I have no idea what Desi's doing. She changed midweek what her episode was going to be about, so this is a total surprise to Uh me. I'm very excited. Tell me me what we're talking about today. Well, uh, so what happened? I was going to do another episode, but the research was too insane, and I was doing two jobs, two full-time jobs this week. I got like this sort of one-week job, and it just got too crazy. So I was like, I need something that's just one linear story. But of course, it ended up being like crazy too. Um, So this week, it's actually a story that was on our list, and someone mentioned it on our Facebook page. So it kind of was in my head. I was like, oh, I definitely want to do this sometime. It is, um, I'm going to tell you today about the murder of a sort of, starlet from the 70s named Krista Helm. I don't know this story. You don't know this story? No, I <laughs> oh, do This not. is so exciting. Yes, educate me. <laughs> um, someone in, I read like numerous, there's not like a ton of major articles about her, so yeah. it's like a lot of uh, small blogs, and I'm going to credit Desi them. Desi literally brought out printed pieces of paper. Um, I had to print them out because they were like PDFs. <laughs> they weren't like things where I could like cut and paste information into my document. It right. was like literally PDFs that I had to print. Uh, and they're like old newspaper articles from the seventies. But, um, anyway, so I'm going to give some credit later to these small blogs who kind of had all these PDFs listed. Uh, so one of them, someone mentioned, they called her the disco era black Dahlia. Wow. And I love that description. <laughs> wow. So let's just get right into it since probably like Rachel, a lot of you don't know that much about her either. Um, so Krista Helm was actually born Sandra Le- Lynn Wolfell on November 10th, 1949 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She was the oldest of three daughters and her parents got divorced pretty soon after she was born, which was about three. So they must have had kids yeah. in rapid succession. Yeah. Um after the divorce, her mom, whose name was Dolores, became a born-again Christian and an alcoholic. <laughs> the worst combination ever. Needless to say, she was not making great decisions, and she entered a series of bad and abusive relationships with various men throughout Krista's uh, early life. Uh, the father, whose name was Harry, got remarried right away, but his relationship was more stable. Um, one of the websites I I got a lot of the information uh, from was called johnodor.com and he has a section on Krista Helm. He actually did a lot of interviews uh, with Krista's daughter. Her name is Nicole and I'll be talking about her later too. But in this uh, article that he posted, he has a quote from Nicole saying, many of the guys that her mom uh, dated sexually molested Krista as well as her younger sisters. Uh, my grandmother was obviously a very tortured soul, and for many years, she wouldn't admit that the sexual abuse even took place. My mom idolized her father, Harry, and he eventually saved her and her two sisters from the home life they had with Dolores. So they did go live with the dad at some point. Yeah. Now, another interesting thing that Nicole said was that the mom, when she was pregnant with um, Krista or Sandy, 
she used a lot of diet pills during her pregnancies, and all three of her daughters uh, were born with skeletal problems. Whoa. Krista, uh, or Sandy, I'll call her Sandy until she changes her name later. Sandy actually wore a back brace as a, you know, as a young teen, which is like, <laughs> hello, like horrible. That's the worst time to like be yeah. having. Did you ever read Denny? By Judy Bloom. No. It's about a girl who has scoliosis. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. And kids at that age yeah, are just so the fucking worst. The combination of that sort of the back brace pressure and, like, probably, you know, feeling insecure uh, and the sexual abuse just kind of compounded everything and made her super insecure. And, like, some people who kind of have a lot of that insecurity at that age, they kind of turn it into an over-the-top personality and they're super sexual and want boys' attention to kind of make up for that hole yeah. in their soul or whatever you want to say. Wow, drag me. Uh, <laughs> I didn't do that, but some people I have heard do that. It's fucking at me uh, next time. <laughs> sorry, Rachel. <laughs> so I've heard. Asking for a friend. Um, so at some point in her, like, 15 or 16, she starts taking karate lessons um, and she actually fell in love with her karate instructor, a man named Gary Clements, who was 26 at the time, and she was 16. Oh, boy. She got pregnant, and they had kind of a shotgun marriage uh, or wedding. Um, and Gary abandoned uh, his daughter and his wife shortly after she was born. Um, now, there is like a little sort of conflict here about what exactly happened, Um Sandy also claimed that Gary, shortly after he kind of left, he died in a motorcycle accident. So yeah. she wasn't really abandoned. <laughs> she was a widow. But I couldn't really find any evidence that that was true or was it a story she told her daughter to make the daughter feel better? Like, right. I couldn't really uh, clear up what actually happened. Regardless of what happened, Sandy, she made a real effort to support her daughter. Um, she started working as a waitress. And through all of her life, she was pretty much described by people who knew her in a very positive way. She was a fun person to be around. Um, she was working with a woman at the restaurant at the time named Diane. And Diane sort of described her as the wild girl who did what everyone dreamed of. So I think she was like that friend who was like, oh I'll my God, tell me, yeah, tell me. Like, and you're kind of just excited to be around that person right. because it's like you live vicariously She'd through do them. all the dares. Right. Uh, she was also really pretty um, so she had a ton of boyfriends. Yeah. So she had a great personality and was a looker. Um, she has often been described, like in, in articles about her, uh, that she start got her start as a, a Playboy bunny in, in the Playboy clubs. But that isn't like exactly true. The woman, Diane, I mentioned, she has a story... She said that at some point, their manager at the restaurant they worked at invited her, Chris, uh, Sandy and Diane, to go to the Playboy Club in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and they were instantly like in love with the lifestyle that yeah. these Playboy playmates had, the waitresses or whatever, I don't know if, the, what, cocktail if they're waitresses. cocktail waitresses, had there. So they both decided that they wanted to be Playboy uh, playmates or bunnies. But they wanted to be in the Chicago club, not the Lake Geneva club, because of course, say. like, what the fuck? Um, I'm actually was surprised that they had Playboy clubs in smaller towns. I mean, Lake Geneva could be a bigger town, but it's not like a major metropolis area. I like, didn't think it was like a big chain, like a Hooters or something. Right. Uh, so they both went to Chicago, and um, they were pretty much hired right away. 
Um, now, when they went to Chicago, they left, both of them had young daughters and they left them with Diane's mom. And they were kind of thinking like, we'll leave the kids with my mom and go live in Chicago and be Playboy bunnies. Like that was wow. sort of their plan. Diane's mom was like, uh, no, at some <laughs> point. So Diane was like, I have to go back, but you stay. Um, I'm not sure who Krista's daughter was with. She might've had an option, but at some point, uh, she decided that she didn't want to stay in right. Chicago by herself. And she went back to Wisconsin with Diane, but their dreams of being famous, whatever it girls or <laughs> beauties and whatever she wanted to be on this did scene. not end. And they eventually found a woman in Vermont. I couldn't find a whole lot about this story and it, it sounds very weird, but somehow they knew a woman in Vermont they left their kids with this woman in, in Vermont, and in 1970, they headed to New York to become world-famous fashion models. I mean, that's that's their Is that opinion. what it says, world-famous? No, that's what I made oh. up. But they wanted to be, like, successful models. Right. They ended up waitressing, of course, and I don't think their modeling careers really took off right away. At some point, Diane uh, did leave, but she sort of described this that Sandy was really in the scene like she instantly kind of made a name for herself as like a social whatever right. party she would girl have like 10,000 Instagram followers exactly today. uh she according to Diane she dated Leslie Gore's um fiance so I don't know if that's dated or cheated <laughs> with <laughs> and she also dated a guy named Ray Abruzzi's who was a Buffalo Bills football player so that was like a kind of a good store uh score like She's as far a star as a fucker. Kind of. Uh, she was also taking acting and singing lessons, Rachel. Oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, in 1971, I guess she had broken up with Ray at this point, but that guy kind of gave her some cachet because he right. was pretty famous, especially in New York. She started seeing a wealthy Broadway producer named Stuart Duncan. Uh, one thing that made me laugh was that he was described as an heir to the Leon Perrin Worcestershire <laughs> sauce fortune. <laughs> Which I was like, that is like an amazing fortune to have access to for some reason. I would be proud. Like normally I don't think I'd be proud of being wealthy, but I feel like if I had some stupid like an source of wealth. Food. yeah. Oh, you know, Worcestershire. That's my family. Like the Worcestershire <laughs> sauce. Yeah. I know the secret recipe. Um, He was, but like I said, he was like a, a Broadway producer and Sandy actually started getting more work as a model at this point And she started living high on the hog. Yeah. She kind of had a philosophy though of like, live the way you want to be like it was right. very uh vision board yeah it was like i want to be a famous movie star and i'm gonna fucking live like a famous movie star right and she kind of did that she had a cool apartment she had a corvette um and then she had this rich boyfriend some other interesting i was never able to do any of this stuff you know what when i, was I never have a vision i <laughs> <laughs> i live how i am i don't have a but vision. there are some women and i have to give them credit they are very talented at building a brand for themselves and right. sort of bullshitting their way yeah. into money i don't have a problem with anything she's doing like, i don't either I, it's just saying, not my personality i like, have never been able to do that i have baffled at how women are able because to do there that. is a little bit of an like we were saying with andrew kanan and she's not like him right but the, she's like a version of who he should have tried to be like where you're believing you're, your own you're, hype. you're believing your own hype but you're not like doing it at the detriment of other I, people i am way too insecure about my looks <laughs> and i would everything not, else i can't even like get by on that I would never even just be able to like bullshit. No, I, I just I, couldn't. I'd always be like, if someone was like, oh, come on. I'd be like, you're right. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bullshitter. Like 
I just couldn't. It's just not my I'm nature. I'm honest to a fault. I'm also like, even though I'm very social and outgoing in a way, part of me is very private. Yeah. So I would never put myself out in that regard. I always kind of like to stay in the background. You know what I mean? Like, I never want to put myself out there because then I'll be rejected. I mean, I oh. have a, I have a longtime girlfriend of mine who just always ends up in these situations where I'm like, how do you have all this? Where'd you get this new car from? Where is this coming if from? If someone doesn't fave my at reply, I have a panic attack that I've gone too far. <laughs> like, I can't like, I can't imagine like putting myself, I never want to be like a burden to anybody or right. like, I, I don't know. It's just not my personality. She also got named Bachelor of the Month with Cosmopolitan. And like, other than this, the Broadway producer and Worcestershire sauce heir, <laughs> she also apparently was dating or, or had suitors like the Shah of Iran uh, who had would send her jewels. So she what? was getting some like high-powered um, I want to get sent sugar jewels. daddies. Right. So around this time, um, Stuart Duncan began production on a religious musical that would later become the show Godspell. He actually let Sandy in on the ground floor, so she was able to invest in this play before it became a huge hit. And she she got a lot of money on her own at that point. Did she write day by day? Uh, yes. Yeah, she, uh, she also had access to a house in the Hamptons at that time, and I think that was also, also through Stuart. Um, at some point, she invited her old friends, including Diane, to come visit her in the Hamptons. She's the other one with the kid? Diane is the old friend who at some point left New York. Right. Um, Di- according to Diane, and I like this little story, when they arrived at the house, Sandy opened the door with her blouse undone and her breast uh, exposed, and she said, well, how do you like them? She had had a boob job, <laughs> and she was showing her new friends, like, I love this girl. <laughs> I know. She's like, here's my new house. Here's my new tits. Like, welcome. But you know what? Can I get you something to drink? I love this kind of bold honesty, especially when women are honest about their plastic surgery. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. I mean, like, if you want to be private about it, that's fine, too. But there's something refreshing. There's something very charming about a woman who's like, yeah, my tits are fake. Yeah. And aren't they great? Yeah. Uh, but I understand women who are private about it because it is very stigmatized, exactly. which it shouldn't but be. But it shouldn't be. Um, so in addition to her new tits, she uh, also informed her friends that she had a new name, and that's where she took on Krista Helm. So she was no longer Sa- Sandy. Her starlet name was Krista Helm. Now, uh, Sa- um, Krista actually did do a lot of plastic surgery around the same time. So it yeah. wasn't just her tits. Uh, she did numerous procedures, um, including one rumor that she had her legs lengthened, which I don't think is possible. That's that was not a rumor. possible. Now, her friend did ask her about her name change. And when she did ask, Krista did have a reason other than like picking your stage name. And she said, an astrologer told me to do it. <laughs> so this is our girl, Krista. Like she just the is whole a free spirit. The she whole does what she wants. It doesn't fucking matter. I mean, whatever. So she's about 23 years old at this time too. So yeah. this is a young woman right. doing all of this. Now, as we kind of have already touched upon, she was a master self-promoter. She was kind of famous for being famous, like original Kardashian, like right. And this is before social media and all of this stuff. That's what I'm so saying. it's like, she yeah, would have had an Instagram. She would have following. had all of that for sure. Uh, and she did this without the internet, which is kind of amazing. But she was really good at like getting herself in the gossip pa- paper or the gossip columns right. and stuff like that. And she did it. She would call them with stories and like, I'm going out with so and so. So she did it all. One funny thing I did find is this article about her 
called Go For Broke, Krista's Movie Lifestyle. So she was being written about her movie star lifestyle. And people were like, what does she do? Uh, So it's like a whole long article. But there was one funny line where she talks about her childhood. And she's like, it was just your average, (laughs) typical childhood. Like knowing what we know, it's pretty crazy that she would tell such a blatant. But that's like what I'm talking about where... She was like what Andrew Kanan wished he could be. Totally. But she was just like embellishing in a way that didn't really harm anybody. Right. Um, it was also around this time, like she's living in the Hamptons, but in New York, she was in this really groovy gl- group of people who I feel like we would want to have been friends with. Yeah. She was friends with Candy Darling uh, from, you know, Andy Warhol and all yeah. that whole crowd and the kind of hanging out at the Stonewall Inn. Okay. Her best friend at the time was a guy named Lenny Barron, and he was a costume designer. So this was like this early 70s period in New York City, and they were like the coolest people to be hanging around with. And she's in that group. And she's kind of the rich one of the group, too. I think she had like the most money, uh, and it was from her own earnings, and then she also enjoyed the kindness of her gentleman callers. Right. Now, uh, in 1973, Stuart Duncan decided he wanted to, to get into movie producing, and he had a starring vehicle for Krista. And this was like, ooh, yes, finally. Finally. She's finally moving from wanting to be a movie star to actually being a movie star. Now, the movie was going to be shot in Haiti to kind of save money, and it was titled Let's Go for Broke. It was kind of a 70s sexploitation kind of campy type movie. I actually want to see it. Now, this is Krista's second film. She was actually had a bit part in a movie called The Legacy of Satan, which also looks amazing. It's a horror film film that was directed by Deep Throat director (laughs) Gerard Damiano. So Krista kind of went into this low-budget production in Haiti like she was like fucking Mariah Carey. (laughs) She brought like a whole entourage of like her stylist and and designers and hair and makeup. they think that her sort of star whatever antics were what caused the film's budget from to go from $700,000 to over a million dollars. So she had a lot of stuff on her rider. Yes. <laughs> she, she had like the green M&Ms and like whatever. <laughs> so just like a little bit about let's go for broke because there are... Beauty should be good for you. And that's why we're excited to tell you about Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter is a clean makeup and skincare brand that started in 2013, disrupting the beauty industry by shedding the light on the need for stronger ingredient regulations in the personal care products that we use daily. Today, Beauty Counter is the leading clean beauty brand creating innovative and high-performing products that are safer and cleaner than even their like-minded competitors. So what do we mean by clean? Over 1,800 questionable ingredients are never used in Beauty Counter's formulations. They call this their never list. You can learn more at beautycounter.com, where you're also going to want to check out their incredible products. Best of all, if you're a new customer and you order through March 15th, you'll get free shipping on your order of $100 or more when you use the code HOLLYWOOD. Once again, to get free shipping on your order of $100 or more, go to beautycounter.com and use the code HOLLYWOOD. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy, getting out of it is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. I know firsthand that there's nothing more frustrating than trying to pay something down and your payments are pretty much just paying off the interest. 
Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. The best part? Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top-ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood some clips on the internet you can find and we should post some because they're fucking hilarious in the movie let's go for broke it's kind of like a james bondy type whatever she plays a woman named jackie broke which is the most amazing Wait, what <laughs> so it's a play on words the title of the movie because her character is named jackie yes. broke yes That's okay fucking awesome listen i like to think that they thought this was going to be like a seven picture series <laughs> or something like a james bond story jackie is broke. that the most amazing drag name <laughs> like you could just be a broken down like i don't even like look like you rolled out of bed drag queen jackie named jackie broke. broke i love it so she's actually a reporter in the movie <laughs> she becomes involved in an international kidnapping conspiracy of course uh at the time this is amazing her in the press release that was sort of promoting the movie, her character is described as a cross between Barbara Walters and Barbarella. <laughs> Dude. Dude, right? She is a drag queen. It's amazing. So as I said, it's like a Bond-style plot, and there is the obligatory wheelchair um, villain madman. And his thing is that he uses synthetic dog food on his enemies, which causes them to turn into raw meat. <laughs> Well, who would eat dog food? Why would you use dog food? I literally have no... I like to picture like the fancy feast, like ding, 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 ding. (laughs) (laughs) They were tricked because it was in a crystal goblet, okay? Like, well, wait a minute. I was going to eat real dog food. Right. Not this fake dog food. So the movie does sound kind of horribly bad. Sounds amazing. So I did see some clips in some of the uh, TV show or whatever, 48 hours uh, type shows that I saw, and it does look kind of cool. So uh, she goes back to New York after filming this movie, and she's like pretty sure it's going to make her a big star. So she's just fucking waiting for the release of this movie while in New York. She's back in her party lifestyle. She actually starts dating, uh, Joe Namath, which is like a a big get in the seventies. Believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Desi says that just, I know she, the sub, I'm just saying the subtext because Desi and I are very close. The subtext of that was my mom tried to fuck Joe Namath in the seventies. It didn't happen. Look, I have but a he- few tweets about it. That's all I'm saying. Search my name and Joe Namath. I'm sure you'll find some information that you'll find appealing. Anyways, at this time, like any aspiring actress, uh, Krista makes the move to LA now, because she was really well-connected in New York, she kind of had tons of connections when she moved to L.A. Of course. Uh, and she pretty much instantly picked up her party girl mantle when she was in L.A. Now, when she was uh, moving into into move, moved to L.A., she actually moved in with an internationally renowned financier, financier named Bernard Kornfeld. <clears throat> and he was like a known playboy who had a huge... 39 room mansion in Beverly Hills called Gray Hall, Gray Hall mansion that actually used to be owned by Douglas Fairbanks senior. And it was like a fucking orgy hedonistic party pad. He was like a huge player and Krista, she didn't fucking care. 
because she was also very sexually open and free. Yeah. Like she was not someone who had any hangups about sex, which was also kind of unusual. I mean, it was the seventies, but right. she kind of always had that attitude. Um, so she loved living there and wasn't bothered by anything. She did have some limits though. Like, um, in 1973, a columnist named Earl Wilson wrote that Krista told him that there had been a time when she had, uh, the opportunity to be be a high priced call girl, but she turned it down, but she basically had a pretty wild lifestyle, but she kind of had that limit. No eggs, Danny Thomas uh, style. Right. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Just Danny Thomas. <laughs> um, so, like I said, while she was staying at Bernie's, he was fucking unfaithful, and she was too. Good for her. She had numerous uh, affairs with uh, famous men, and some of the men that she had affairs were- with were Warren Beatty, Michael Sarazen, who I don't know who that is, Desi Arnaz Jr., George Ham- Hamilton, singer Johnny Rivers, um, Mick Jagger, Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's running the gamut of music right there, right? I was just right? going to say, how do you go from Jagger She went to from that? AM Gold to Rock and Roll. <laughs> uh, and um, Roman Polanski. <laughs> so she's hitting, she's, she's hitting on all barrels. I don't right. even know if that's an expression. Firing on all firing barrels? Firing on all barrels. Sure. Okay. Um, so Cylinders? Firing on all cylinders. Thank you. <laughs> Whatever. Look. <laughs> Well, you won't be shocked to know that I don't know how to use a it gun. W- it was a two f two person effort to figure yes, that out. We finally did. <laughs> See, we're complimenting each other. <laughs> Despite all of those connections, uh, her acting career was not taking off as quickly as she hoped. In the two years after she arrived in LA, uh, she only had managed to get a few jobs. One was a Coppertone TV commercial, and she got two small TV roles. Uh, one was playing a roller skating waitress on a 1976 episode of Starsky and Hutch. And she also played a bitchy beauty pageant contestant on an episode of Wonder Woman, which I don't say I'd be happy if those were my only two acting roles. I was just going to say, that sounds great. <laughs> so as I said, she was really holding out for the release of Let's Go for Broke. Uh, and she was sort of, whenever she would get into these gossip mags and stuff she'd always kind of promote the upcoming release of this movie so it's kind of like the people who have their one credit and they're always like it's coming out soon like oh i have something in development (laughs) it's like a classic i don't have anything going on right um i mean it was in the can but it just was not being released so i mean this is an amazing detail too during her downtime when she wasn't acting as much krista decided she wanted to um record and release a disco record fuck yeah (laughs) she's amazing um and that's kind of where she started falling into uh, a seedier crowd. Like the music industry obviously was yeah. much seedier than what she was used to. Um, app- apparently, and I'm going to get into this a bit more, the recording of the album was a very contentious period and the people involved were, were all kind of fucking crazy. Um in addition to like just production and fighting over the direction of the album, there was a lot of social drama within the group as well. Krista was basically fucking everybody in the group, including the producers in particular, um, one of her backup singers, a woman named Patty Collins. Krista was bisexual, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. Yeah. She didn't care. Uh, and their relationship was pretty contentious and created a lot of, problems in the group the other backup singer her name is debbie danilo she described um 
Krista is being very sexual with everyone, both men and women. And she said Patty got really jealous and she didn't like the fact that um, Krista was in a full on lesbian. Like that really bugged her for some reason. She was like, pick a team, bitch. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's about where we're at. Um, here's a little sad side note for you before I get into the murder. Krista's daughter, Nicole, had been told by her mom that when she was 10, she could come live with her mom. They apparently had a good relationship, despite the fact that it seems like Krista basically abandoned her in Vermont. Her situation in Vermont was not good. She did not like her babysitter or nanny or whatever you want to call her. But in Krista's mind, she was keeping Nicole out of her wild lifestyle and trying to make something happen to eventually bring her back and take care of her. My mom actually kind of did a similar thing. But it It never panned out? No, it never panned out. Well, it didn't pan out here either. (laughs) I mean, to be fair (laughs) to my mom. (laughs) Um... Anyway, so when I read that, it was just kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for Nicole, even if she maybe doesn't have the best handle on what her mom was really doing. Yeah, of course. Um, anyways, so Krista's daughter, Nicole, was really looking forward to her 10th birthday. But unfortunately, when Nicole was nine, shortly before her 10th birthday, Krista was found brutally murdered. Holy shit. Okay, so. Oh, someone's being noisy next door. Um, so February 12th, 1977, this is the, the day Krista was murdered. That night, Krista was out partying, uh, much as almost like every night. Um, she went out with her roommate, a woman named Stephanie uh, Warshaw. I can't, I, I heard, I think I remember it was Warshaw or Warsaw, um, but anyways, it doesn't really matter. At some point, they were calling on a mutual friend that they had, a man named Sanford Sandy Smith, who was a Hollywood agent. Um... And he was also someone Krista fucked around with. Yeah. I kind of feel like everyone in her life was someone she fucked around with. (laughs) And not a judgment because I love her. Uh, He was sort of like not in the mood to go out. And so Krista decided that she was going to go over to his house and kind of drag him to go out with them. She borrowed Stephanie's car and drove to his house, which was in West Hollywood. Uh, And Chris, according to Smith, he never heard her arrive or knew that she was on her way and he said he was sleeping and that he basically doesn't have any memory of anything that happened that night. So either while she was on her way to Sandy's house or on her way from leaving Sandy's house and no one really knows what happened, Krista was attacked from behind outside of his house. Uh, I mentioned before that she was a certified black belt or she took karate. She did end up being a certified black belt, but she was attacked from behind. So she was never able to uh, fight off her assailant in a meaningful way. Uh, She was stabbed. I've heard a few things, but between 23 and 30 times, including all over her face and neck, she was also bludgeoned with something that was thought to be either the handle of a knife or a hammer, but it seems more likely the, the knife. Yeah. Um, And her body was basically, and there are pictures, um, her body was basically outside the car door. And in the picture, it's pretty gruesome. Like there was a huge like stream of blood coming from where her body was lying uh, outside of the apartment. There was witnesses that heard stuff. Um, That night they heard screams. Um, there was even a guy whose name was John Grease, who was 19 at the time. And he, according to him, he said, I can still remember it. I couldn't tell if I was hearing a screaming baby or a cat being killed. It was a horrendous, horrendous scream. 
It was terrifying. He was at his mom's house, who was right down the street from where Krista was murdered. He said that he ran outside into his yard scared, but didn't hear anything more or see anything, so he went back inside. The next day, uh, according to him, the sheriff came knocking on the door and asked them if anyone had heard anything that night. Uh, And he said that the cop said to him uh, someone had been murdered and that if he had walked just a little bit into the street, he would have seen her, but he only looked sort of briefly uh, down the sidewalk. Um, The other sort of interesting evidence, first of all, there's hardly any hard evidence. There's very little evidence. I'm going to go through just a few things right here that were kind of physical evidence, I guess. They speculate that she might have been followed and that she knew she was followed because the way she parked her car, the front wheel on the right side where it was up against the curb was sort of jammed up onto the curb as if she had parked in a panic and was rushing to get out of her car like she thought maybe she was being followed. Right. Um, As I said before, several women, including two several women heard the screams, but they also, some witnesses say that they heard two women and a man talking loudly. Um, They speculate that she, there was no weapon found on the scene, but they speculate that it was a knife, like a buck knife or a heavy, heavier bladed knife, not a kitchen knife, just based on the stab wounds. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that she was bludgeoned with something. So it would have had like a heavier uh, handle based on the brutality of the murder. Cops pretty much instantly decided that, this was not a robbery gone wrong, that it was like a violent death that probably had some kind of real passion related to it. That like it was a someone crime of who passion. possibly knew her? Yeah, like it wasn't just a robbery gone bad because right. that would have been whatever, a few stabs, maybe uh, whatever. Now, uh, as soon as they started the investigation, they pretty much started realizing how complicated the case would be because of her life being so complicated and there were so many people in her life. Yeah from all sort of walks of life. Now here's like an interesting little side fact. At first detectives thought Krista's murder might be connected to another famous murder, that of actor Salminio uh, from really? Rebel Without a Cause, which yeah. is funny because that was sort of what I was going to do this week. Right. But, and amongst other things, uh, the papers kind of went crazy initially with this idea. Yeah. Because Krista was stabbed and bludgeoned to death in a, in front of a house in West Hollywood and Minio was murder, uh, murdered one year earlier on the same exact day in the same neighborhood. Whoa. And he was also obviously stabbed. There was no witnesses in either case. This connection as sort of crazy and like, you know, whatever right. you want it to be. Not, not that you want it to be true, but it's like, oh, wow, that would be crazy. Right. It, it turned out that it was not. Uh, it, it was, was just a very true, strange but it was like an initial strange coincidence that sort of seemed promising. Um, other than that initial uh, Minio connection, this case kind of petered out really quick in yeah. like as far as the press goes. Um, some people speculated that maybe it was because of someone she knew or who she knew, and that was the reason the press was kind of taken out of the news. Yeah. Um, another sort of piece of evidence was, according to her friends who saw her that night, she had a handbag with a Tommy Boy logo on it. I don't know what Tommy Boy is, do you? I don't either. It must have been some brand from then. Uh, and the purse was missing when the police arrived. Right. It was never found. And there is speculation that that could be uh, what the motive was for her murder, to get this purse. But not because of a robbery. Why not? It's because Krista carried with her at all times a diary that that basically was 
a journal of every man she fucked, what happened. Uh, and people knew about this? Yes. People wow. knew about it. Now, it wasn't like, I don't think it was something she broadcast, but it was something people knew about and probably people talked. And uh, possibly. So they, the cops quickly started saying, well, what's in this fucking book, right? Right. So this diary book was... <laughs> It was basically a recording of every famous lover that she had, yeah. what happened, you know, and other other things. But no one really knew, but it was sort of like what they were hearing. It was a secret sex diary, and it's actually something that she was doing since she was a teenager. Her and her friends would create these diaries with a rating system about, like, guys they were kissing or whatever. Right. And obviously this is, like, the upgraded totally. fucking adult version. And that's a very juicy book there. Yeah. I have actually printed out something that she did admit to. This is an article, an interview she did where she talked about all of her superstar boyfriends. Uh, and then we have some, some snippets of what she says about them. So I'm going to read them right awesome. now. Awesome. Okay. So this is all quotes by her. Mick Jagger is an incredible performer and he turns me on on stage, but in person I found he doesn't do a thing for me. <laughs> so th I don't Damn. think this is what she has in her book. This is like her gossipy version. Yeah. The Shah of Iran flew me to Switzerland and Iran just to meet me. His sex appeal is his intelligence, but he's also a sex maniac. Desi Jr. is what I'd call a very sweet boy. He brings out the maternal instinct in me. Roman Polanski, I love his work, and he has a certain style to him. Engelbert is very romantic. He's like a wild stallion. I also dated singer Johnny Rivers. He's very quiet and sensitive. He lives like no other millionaire I know, in serenity and seclusion. And here's that actor, Michael Sarazen, who I didn't know who they were. Uh... They were living together at, t at some time, and he actually was dating actress Jackie Jacqueline Bissett. Uh, she ends this thing with, I'm curious about Warren Beatty, Ryan <laughs> O'Neill, and Elvis. Elvis, because I've heard he's a fantastic lover. The other two, because they're just plain sexy. So this is definitely her like little cute right. version of what her book probably was. Right. She also had a collection of tape recordings of romantic and sexual trysts uh, that she partaked in. And there's like numerous tapes. Wait a minute. Like of them fucking? Yeah. Yes. Not videotape though. No. All audio. audio, audio cassettes. And I saw like in one of the 48 hours or whatever, they have them all there and they play some of them. So oh, if you find they that do thing, not. it's not any juicy ones, but, what but it was it? a phone sex one that she did. It is literally the most basic phone sex what thing. What is it? It's kind of like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just like you can't believe anyone would come listening to it because right. it was not at all hot. It was just kind of like. Well, also in 48 hours. It reminded me of like maybe what those party line sex lines used to be where it's like in that Robert Altman movie where Jennifer Jason Lee is just like yeah. ironing clothes. And she's like, oh, yeah, baby. Like, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so the primary motive that they had at the time was that she was possibly blackmailing someone or someone was worried that she would that be it would get out or that she'd get out. Um, so these are like, as I said before, pretty big celebrity boyfriends that she's fucking around with. One of the, one of the tapes actually was a threesome with Patty, the backup singer, oh my God. um, Krista and a very famous male, uh, actor I think but he was like a celebrity and and all of the things I saw they talk about this threesome tape but they don't talk about who the guy was because it's like he's still alive <laughs> and he would never I'm like I need to fucking need know, to know who this guy I is need to know. and apparently the tape also 
uh, kind of shows some of the jealousy that we're talking. We right. heard about Patty with uh, Krista. So I can imagine if she's a lesbian and she's doing this for Krista, that she probably got annoyed if Krista was paying too much attention to the male. Right? Right. So around this time, Krista's high school friend, whose name is Darlene, uh, she actually wasn't interviewed after the murder, but later on uh, she was interviewed and she said that she warned Krista against making these tapes and she thought it was dangerous and that Krista was playing uh, with fire. She also said that around Christmas before the murder, uh, Krista sent her a postcard that said, Dar, I'm in, I'm in way over my head. I'm into something I can't get out of. And that she asked Darlene to take care of Nicole if something should happen to her. Wow. And this is all according to Darlene. There's no, she doesn't right. have the postcard. But I believe her. I mean, why would she why lie? Why would she lie about that? Um, so as I said before, the case kind of drifted away, not just in the media, but the cops, it got cold really fast because there was just too much. Uh, and it kind of became a minor footnote in Hollywood history. I think it was tri- it was sort of revived a few times by some uh, amateur sleuth type people, right. but it just never really took off. In 2006, Krista's daughter Nicole kind of got the case going again. Right. She, after years of pressure, Nicole got um, homicide detectives Larry Brandenburg and Tom Harris of the LA County Sheriff's Department cold case unit to take the case back on. Wow. So that was in 2006, which is about 30 years after uh, the case, uh, or the murder. The detectives had to basically look at everything that had been done in the first investigation and kind of redo a lot of things, re-interview people. One of the things was, obviously, back in 1977, there was no DNA testing. Right. uh, And that was a new avenue they were going to look at because they had blood and nail clippings to do DNA sample testing on, still in evidence. Wow. Um, and then, as I said before, they had to find all of these fucking crazy cast of characters to re-interview them. They were also very curious about the missing audio tapes, missing audio tapes. (laughs) Do you hear me? Um, okay. So this is where we get into some crazy stuff. Now, as I said before, Krista had this diary and she also had these tapes. And when the detectives were starting to look for these missing tapes, hoping to find evidence that led them to, uh, a sort of Sopranos twist to this story. Now, the actor, his name is Tony Sirocco. He played Polly Walnuts on The Sopranos. Are you familiar with him? Yeah. I have a sick? Yeah. Uh, And 30 years ago, he was just another actor from Brooklyn trying to make it in Hollywood. Right. So back in 1977, Tony Sirocco, uh, like I said, was an up-and-coming actor, and he was in some of the same circles and knew some of the same people that Krista knew. After Krista was killed, Tony Sirocco went to where she lived to check on the welfare and watch over her roommate, Stephanie, for a few days to make sure she was okay. According to Stephanie, Tony removed some of the tapes out of Krista's room and uh, never, and they were never to be seen again. Krista's roommate to this day is, so, is still really scared to talk about the case publicly, but she also said she told detective that uh, Sirocco also took some of Krista's belongings, including furs and clothing and other valuable things that she had gotten from like the Shah of Iran and all of that kind of oh. stuff. At the time, police never, he wasn't someone the police questioned initially. So in 2006, the new investigators asked to uh, speak to Sirocco and he was not very cooperative. Right. He did say a few things to them. Mr. Sirocco told us at first that he didn't remember the victim. He didn't know Krista and he didn't even remember that she had been killed. 
But then his memory got a bit better. Yeah, I think I heard about her being killed, but I didn't really know her that well. According to detectives, Sirocco denied going to her apartment and he denied knowing the roommate. This is a quote from the detective. We started getting to the point of where he was on that day and asked him those type of questions and the interview was abruptly stopped by his attorney. We explained to Mr. Sirocco that he was not a suspect in the investigation. He was considered a witness and someone that we were trying to just get information from. Now, years later, most of Krista's missing things did turn up at the home of her old friend, Lenny Barron, the studio, like the candy darling, yeah. um, cool New York things. All of the furniture and crystal and furs uh, that had been taken were found at his home. Uh, but the tapes and the diary weren't found. That doesn't mean he didn't have them at some point. Right. So police speculate now that Lenny was the one who sent Tony Sirocco to her apartment to clean things out and to kind of protect her. Yeah. They speculate that he didn't want her reputation to be soiled and they didn't want people listening to those tapes yeah. about her sexual activities. Um, so they do think it's possible that he did take those things also, but just destroyed them. Yeah. Lenny actually died like uh, a while ago. So they, no one can interview him. Right. Um, the other area of motivation for the murder was, as I said before, that whole recording session band area, which is honestly like a low rent Fleetwood Mac as far as like everyone fucking everybody, <laughs> but no good, no good music came out of it. So as I mentioned before, Krista was sort of the one fucking everybody. This kind of the impetus of the bad blood in this recording session started when Krista started fucking the producer. His yeah. name was Frankie Crocker. So she was kind of fucking him and trying to get her way with him. He was in the music scene and a real party boy also. And she kind of flaunted this relationship with him over the other yeah. band members. At some point, when things wouldn't work out as far as production was going, she'd sort of be like, I'll handle it. You know, don't worry, I've got Frankie by the balls kind right. of thing. Then she started the affair with Patty Collins. And as I said before, Patty was very jealous. Um, now... There was another guy involved in the band. His name was Blair Aronson. And he was sort of Debbie's boyfriend. But according, he kind of downplays their relationship. And she thinks it's he was a boyfriend, which I think is hilarious. Like 40 years later, people are still arguing. Like, we were never committed, baby. Very 70s of him. Um, so... In these like re-interviews, one new bombshell that kind of was dropped was dropped by Blair Aronson. And he told detectives that the night before Krista died, he fucked her. And that at some point he looked up and he saw Debbie staring in the window at what them. What the fuck? <laughs> I know. Now, obviously, Debbie denies right. that she was there. Um, I know. Isn't that insane? That's so creepy. That's so creepy. Now, I think like it's important to point out that all three of these women... Like Patty, Stephanie, the roommate, and Debbie were fucking petrified after after Krista was found dead. Yeah. Stephanie claims that she got threatening phone calls and felt really scared she actually left town. Debbie Danilo also left town at some point. She even bought a disguise and like a put, disguise. A, put a wig on as she was like going to the airport to get out of town. She didn't want anyone to know who she was. She right. was afraid someone was going to kill her because she knew something she wasn't supposed to know. Like no one even knew was Krista was dead. So it was right. like, no one knew what they knew that would be bad. Like, um, of course when Patty also left town, she was just more suspect because of her jealous relationship right. with, uh, with, um, Krista. Now there is one other, 
person who was sort of suspected and his name is Rudy Mazella and he was kind of like um, in the party scene but definitely on the seedier side he was a drug dealer and he was known as like a bad guy like a yeah. violent guy he had guns and knives uh, even his ex-wife was deathly afraid of him uh, he was he would threaten people constantly mm-hmm. um, the detective on the case Brandenburg said that Krista kind of just knew him from being in the circle of friends and that he was definitely on what he called the dark side of her life the street people drug dealers and people who would come to these parties that right. she would go to um in an interview in ni- 1977 a woman who used to go to these house parties at Mazella's um told police that she had heard him heard something about him and what she had heard was that her boyfriend told her that Rudy was bragging about murdering Krista he didn't say why he had murdered her, but he was sort of like bragging about it. So obviously the cops called him in. And when the cops called him in, he immediately denied all involvement. He was kind of known for bragging about things that maybe he didn't do. Yeah. Just to kind of boost his notoriety and like thuggishness or whatever. Right. Um, there were some rumors that Krista was storing cocaine for Rudy, about a half million dollars, and that she had skimmed some drugs off the top or whatever. Um, but it, ultimately it does seem like he was possibly bragging. He was actually the roommate of Blair Aronson, the drummer that I mentioned mm-hmm. before. And he had an alibi that night and Blair basically he corroborated, whatever, corroborated, it. corroborated it. Uh, he's also dead. So they're not able to like call right. him back in. Now, as I said before, there was some DNA samples found under Krista's female, uh, fingernails, uh, that DNA was tested and, it was found to be originated from a female. Interesting. Yes. So they did enter that into like, I think it's called CODIS, the DNA database, yeah. where you can match it to someone if they have DNA if they on have record. Priors. Obviously, it, there was no match. Uh, so they kind of sought the women who knew Krista out yeah. to give the samples. Debbie Danilo immediately gave it, and she was excluded. Now, there's a little bit of sort of, things that conflict here but i'm just going to tell you both of them so they were looking for patty collins obviously she kind of left town and nobody ever heard from her again yeah they thought they found her in montana and they actually went to montana and it ended up not being her and one other thing i saw that they did interview patty collins at some point uh and she claimed that she did not know krista helm uh they showed me a picture of her and no one looks familiar in these photos i don't know anything so i don't know if they found her it seemed like it was later, like recently that they found her and they got that. But I think they are possibly testing her DNA to see if she's a match or maybe she didn't give it. So they do find it kind of suspicious that she claims that she was never even in Southern California when they have obvious evidence yeah. that she was. That's it. It's a wow. cold case still. Like they're still working on they're it. They're still working on and it. And according to Nicole, Krista's daughter, she's never going to give up. Um, wow. But it seems like based on the fact that it happened so long ago, all of the witnesses are sketched dead or just druggies who might not have a memory. Right. Um, but there's no real, to me, it seems like either it was Patty. Yeah. But that's like a brutal murder for a woman to do. Right. Like, you don't, it's possible. It is possible. I mean, you don't hear There's always that one guy in your at replies right. that, that'll tell you all the times right. a woman. Well, actually. Well, actually, yeah. there was this one mass shooter that was a woman. Yeah. So. So. I don't know. It's possible. It's absolutely. I mean, women are still capable of I kept trying to find like more things. evidence like right. I was going to solve it or something. <laughs> but. I would like to know. I mean. It's crazy, right? 
I've never even heard of this case. I mean, she wasn't like a household name, obviously, no, but no. Um, that's really wild. I. It's pretty famous as far as an unsolved Hollywood right. murder goes. Like right. it'll always be one of the top 10 listed, but a lot of them I don't really. Yeah. It's kind of like William Desmond Taylor or whatever. Like, yeah. Uh, anyways, I did want to give some shout outs to the blogs I sort of read. I mentioned the one before, johnodow.com. There's also kristahelm.blogspot.com, and that's run by Stephen Thompson, who was also interviewed in um, this uh, Mystery and Scandals episode I watched That was host- that's hosted by Soledad O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um, I also watched a 48 Hours Mystery on the case, and that has a lot of good f- footage. And then there was some stuff on Reddit, too, uh, but not very specific. A lot of them had links to some of these things I found. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to give those people That's credit. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. Uh, and then was there anything else? We had, <clears throat> we had some, uh, patrons this week. Let me just give a shout out to them. Thank you guys so much. If you'd like to become a Patreon contributor, I'm sorry we, uh, weren't able to make a bonus episode this past week, but we will have one for you in the next few days. So, um, if you'd like to become a patron, it's uh, patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. If you donate $5 or more, you will get access to weekly bonus episodes. They're a lot filthier than uh, these ones, so yeah. please do not listen without your headphones. Um, <laughs> they're very not suitable for work. But uh, we would just like to thank right now some of our latest patrons. This week we had Vince... We had Rich, Steven, and that's – oh, and Tracy. Cool. Thank you guys Thanks, so guys. much. Really appreciate it. And I've mentioned that we have the Facebook um, page, Hollywood Crime Seed Friends. You can join and have these discussions with us about Give us Hollywood or cases. Case. Tell us what you think if you have new information. And we'll try to post some pictures and possibly videos. We have links. an Instagram. Yeah. That we post pictures of all the cases that we talk about right. on the and show. And Twitter, too. You can follow us there. Follow us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, um, if you haven't, we would love if you would leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us right. out a it lot. It does help us. Did you see someone reviewed us and they're like, I, you guys asked me to help you, so I'm going to leave this review <laughs> to help you. And I was like, thanks. No, I didn't see that, but I, appre- I appreciate I any thank kind. You. I don't care what you say. But it does really help us. And if you don't have cash, we, we get that. But you can help the show in other ways. You can tell a friend. You can leave a review. Um, whatever. Yeah, pass All of it it's on. good. We love it. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So that's it. Cool. Bye. Bye.